0: Uh, Today we're going to finish our series on the names of God. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 22 with me. We've already seen the name the Lord, the God who was and is and is to come. We've already seen the God who is the shield. I will protect you. I'm the shield who will protect you. And then we've already seen God Almighty as we looked at last week. And today we're going to look at the God who provides. And we find this uh, very unusual story in Genesis 22. And if we didn't know the outcome, we might even say it's a little troubling, truthfully. But God is going to reveal more about who he is through this story to us. And so we look today at the sacrifice of Isaac. Chapter 22, verse 1. Follow along with me. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer them there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took a fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, my father, and he replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. When you're reading this, perhaps the first thing that comes to your mind is, The thought that, how could God uh, tell someone to sacrifice their child? Why why would God do that? That would probably have been my first assumption too, if we had not been reading the last three names of the Lord, because the last three names of the Lord tell us that God is doing something very specific through Abraham in the life of his son, Isaac, And so now we have to ask ourselves a question, is God a promise breaker? If you have children in the room, you know what it means to learn that you never say, I promise anything, right? You never even hint that you're going to promise anything because if they say, can we go to the store and you say, we might can later, they say, you promised, right? It's better to say, I don't know, we'll see about it. I'm not sure than to say, we'll probably go later. Because those kinds of things happen. Well, Abraham has been living a life where he's been trusting the Lord step after step after step. And now, what these three names have told us about the Lord is that over and over again, God's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Because God has confirmed his covenant three different times with Abraham. He said, listen, I'm the Lord, follow me and do this. I'm your shield, your reward will be great. I'm the Lord God Almighty, follow me and do this. These are the things I'm going to do in your life. And it's all going to be wrapped up in the life of Isaac. That's a terrible thing for us to think about losing a child in this manner. Terrific, isn't it? I mean, just to think that someone might lose a child in this manner, especially a child that's been so long in coming, right? I mean, Abraham, as we studied last week, has been waiting for years for the son of promise to come. But that's actually not the worst part about this. Because for Abraham, every single thing that God has promised him is wrapped up in the life of this child. That's very different for you and I. We have children and we love them. We're excited about what God might be doing in their lives. But none of the promises of God are wrapped up in our children. Did you know that? They're all in who? Christ Jesus. But in Abraham's life, every single promise he's been given is literally in this child's life. Because remember, he he tried to have a child with his wife's servant, Hagar, and they did, Ishmael. And Abraham's been saying all along, I've got to have an heir for my family for any of this to happen. And all I've got is Eleazar, he's my servant. The Lord says, it's not gonna be him. Lord comes back to him and says, you're gonna have a child. And this is the child of promise, not Ishmael. And he says, oh, please let it be Ishmael. Can it not just be Ishmael? Lord, we've waited so long. When are your promises going to come? And it all comes through Isaac. And so the question becomes, is God going to go back on his promise? Is he a deal breaker? Is he someone that you can't trust? Is God going to look at what he has said three times to this man and say, hey, I was kidding. Not gonna happen. I'm going back on my word. Well, throughout Abraham's life, He's lived with faith. Do you remember from the first time we met him? The Lord said to him, leave your family and go do this. And he did. The Lord told him to go into this land and he did. The Lord told him that he would have a son and he trusted the Lord. And and he was was watching the Lord all the time. And what we begin to see is that Abraham has lived a life. What is a life of faith? What is a life of faith? It's believing God and putting it in action. That's the life of faith. Believing God and putting it in action. And he's done that. Well, how do we know he's done that? Because the Bible says that the next morning, this old man got up and started chopping wood. He didn't wait around. Got some guys to come with him, saddled up a donkey, put the wood on there, and said, we gotta go, and we gotta figure this out. He's doing it the next morning. He's not bargaining with God, he's not trying to figure out how it's going to be, he's not rationalizing in a way, he's just, okay, this is what God has said, this is what I do. The Bible says he takes a three-day journey. Can you imagine what that was like? What would it be like to be the one in the party who's bearing the awful secret? You know, maybe you've been given some news that you know is going to affect a lot of people at some point, and you have to bear that. You have to kind of live with that, and you know how hard that is, but imagine this. For three days, he's gotta be trying to figure it out. It's excruciating for him. He's wrestling with God, but he's trusting God. He's been doing it his whole life. Since the Lord first spoke to him, he has been trusting God every step of the way. And this is crucial, because as we think about this, this is where we often fail the test of faith, As we don't trust God in things we don't understand, or when things are hard, or when things are difficult for us to wrap our minds around, we start to have this crisis of faith. Many years ago I read a book By a pastor named Craig Groeschel. He pastors out in Oklahoma. And the book just, the title of the book jumped off the shelf at me. The Christian Atheist. The Christian Atheist. Okay, you have my full attention. How can you be a Christian and an atheist? And the tagline of the the book is believing in God, but living as if he doesn't exist. And every chapter starts to deal with one of these. I believe in God, but I'm gonna live as if he doesn't exist, meaning, guess what? I do what I wanna do. So one of the chapters, for instance, believing in God, but refusing to forgive. Oh, whoa! excuse me? Now you have my full attention, right? Because believing in God, but refusing to forgive. I mean, that, that gets really hard. That's the brass tacks of the issue, isn't it? It's where the rubber meets the road. When all of a sudden, I mean, I have this belief in God and I love that he saved me and I love I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to forgive them. Did you think Jesus was teasing in the Lord's prayer? We've been studying that on our second Sunday night prayer services, teaching our children that prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's Jesus telling us to pray that way. Jesus telling us that we're to forgive, but we believe in God, but when we don't forgive. I mean, You see the disconnect of faith in our lives. How about this one? Believing in God, but pursuing happiness at any cost. I'm gonna be happy, because I, I wanna be happy. So I will do whatever it takes to be happy. Not holy, but happy. What a great difference it is. I mean, you understand that, that these things come against us when we're reading the scripture and it starts to convict us and we run up against these things, it's a real challenge for us, isn't it? How about this one? Believing in God, but trusting more in money. I, I believe in God, but I tell you what, He can't take care of me like my money can. I got to hold that back for myself. Now listen, you you understand what happens here. These are the tests of faith that we all all struggle with, folks. Abraham's not a Christian atheist. He's chopping wood and loading donkeys, you know what I'm saying? He's not a Christian atheist. He understands that faith in God means that he's going to believe God and he's gonna figure out, in fact, he's so faithful that he reasons in his mind something, this man's maybe the greatest theologian in the scripture outside of Christ or Paul, I don't know. Think about what happens. Would you look at verse 5 with me again? Somewhere on the journey, he's come to this. Then Abraham said to his young men, You stay with the donkey, the boy and I will go over there to worship, then we will come back. Now, wait just a second. Who's coming back? We're coming back. How how does he get there? How how can he possibly know this? If God has told him, every promise I have is in this child and I want you to go sacrifice this child, Abraham comes to this place where he believes, if I follow through with what God's asked me to do, the promise is all in Isaac. God will do something we've never seen before. In his lifetime, he's not seen anybody raised from the dead. He doesn't know about that. And yet the scripture says, and Hebrews says something about Abraham that we should never, ever forget. It's a beautiful picture for us from Hebrews chapter 11. It'll be on the screen. I wanna read it for you because uh, as, you, as you see this in verse 17, what you begin to see is God doing something incredible in Abraham's life. We're gonna get that on the screen, help me. There we go. By faith, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Abraham believed that God could raise someone from the dead and do what he'd never seen done before because God was going to be faithful to his promises to him. That's faith in action, folks. I don't know how God's gonna work this out. We oftentimes want God to work it all out and then tell us how to do it. That's not faith. That's instructions, right? But God knows you're no good at instructions either. You're not. Christmas is coming, men. You know what I mean? There's gonna be some toys dropped at the house. They're gonna have assembly instructions and you're not gonna read them. You're just gonna put that thing together. That Barbie playhouse is gonna look like this. It's gonna be all wonky, right? When you're done with it. Why? Why is it? Because it's hard, isn't it? Faith is when the Lord calls us to do something, we don't have all the answers, or it puts us in a position that's uncomfortable, we don't feel like we can step forward in this, we don't know what to do, and we have to trust the Lord. That's when our faith, when we believe God, and we start to act on it. Don't just talk about it, start to act on it. This is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. Because we read things in the scripture that we don't like. We read things in the scripture that they come against us. They, they cut us to the very core. And, and we have to bend our will into line with what the scripture says. And if we don't, we're not living out our faith. We're, we're believing in a God that doesn't exist, folks. But not Abraham. He's chopping wood. And so he says something amazing. Verse 7, his son ask him, uh, Dad, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. So this is not the first time they've done this, right? I mean, he he understands something about this. And so he goes, um, two out of three are good, but Dad, if we're gonna have an offering we need the crucial thing here. You got the knife, you got the wood, you got the lamb. I mean, the fire, it's all good. We got to have the lamb though, dad. Where's that coming from? The Lord himself will provide. What he says is Jehovah Jireh. You may know that word Jireh from a popular worship song that maybe you've heard on the radio and It just talks about how the Lord takes care of everything, right? He's the God who provides. What what your Bible might translate that as is is like mine did. Most of the English versions do. The Lord will provide. The the literal translation is he will see to it. He will see to it. Now, when you see to it, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary describes that as, as something important for us. It says it's meaning you will make sure something is done. That you will make sure something's done. So when you say at work, the boss says, hey, we have a problem over here. And you say, I'll see to it. It'll be right. What you're saying is, I got it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to handle it. I got it. Abraham says, the Lord will see to it because this is his problem. This is his thing. God has said what we need to do. And what Abraham is saying is what we learned last week. That's God's business. I'm taking care of what God told me to do. God does what he does and I've done what I was supposed to do. I've got the fire, I've got the wood and God will see to it that we have everything that we need. He will provide, he will see to it. And then the most amazing thing happens. The Bible says that Abraham binds his son, lays the wood on top of him takes the knife in his hand and the angel of the Lord speaks out. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Then he said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Sure enough, God did see to it. There was a ram, a substitute. And Abraham offered the ram in place of his son, Isaac. And what we get here is is the greatest picture perhaps of the gospel that we'll ever see in the Old Testament because there was a substitute. In the New Testament, people often refer to Jesus Christ as the substitutionary atonement for our sins. Big term. Here's what it means. Christ died in your place. He was the substitute and he took care of the mess of your sin. The Bible says that, that if, if Jesus hadn't died, we would pay for our sins, but Christ died in our place. And so God gives us this picture, and it's a beautiful picture. There's some, there's some striking words that happen here. Did you notice them? I, I was reading this this week and, and couldn't help but notice in verse two that it had said, the Lord said, take your only son. Oh, The one you love. Ooh. Is God trying to like turn the knife in this man's heart? I mean, it's bad enough what he's asking him to do. But in the New Testament, the gospels will tell us, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. His one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The scripture says that Jesus Christ came and he lived a sinless, perfect life. And in the Old Testament, that may not mean much to you, but in the Old Testament, it's very important because if you go back and read the book of Malachi, one of the things that people were in trouble for doing, they're sacrificing junk animals. Man, I don't really want this one. I can't sell this one to market. Let's just give that to God. God says, no, no, no. Try offering that to your governor and see what he says. Nobody wants your junk. I require the best. Spotless, no blemish in the animal. I don't want, I don't want that. It's got to be Perfect. And so when we talk about Jesus being the spotless Lamb of God, it means he came and lived a life perfect before the Lord. He was tempted just like you are, just like I am, every way, and yet he never gave in or yielded to those temptations. He was perfect. And so he was able to go and die in our place. And the Bible says that if we would admit that that we're sinners and believe that God placed his wrath on Christ and that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place was buried and rose again, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You see this picture of what's happening here. God provided what we couldn't. You couldn't be good enough. If you're waiting on trying to fix your life or or trying to sort out whatever's wrong with you, it doesn't ever happen because get that fixed and something else falls apart, folks. It's just the way that it is. It never works. You're never gonna be good enough. God knowing that moved towards you And sent his son. And the Bible says that God was pleased to pour out his wrath on Christ. It pleased him to do it. Why? Because it meant the salvation of our souls. So our substitute that we see pictured here, Christ dying for us in the New Testament, we see it pictured here. It's this beautiful thing that's happening. And oh, by the way, guess where it happened? Later in the book of Chronicles, we find out that Mount Moriah is where the city of Jerusalem is. And that's where the temple is built by Solomon, isn't it? And that's where all the sacrifices take place. And guess where Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem on the very same mountain. It's all part of God's plan that he's wanting to show us here. God's trying to get everybody to see this is what I'm going to do. And we're looking back going, look at what he's done. Mm. And so I ask you today, the first step of faith that you might need to take is not to just say you believe in God, but put your faith and trust in him so that your life can be changed and you can be saved and start following Christ. That's a big step. A lot of times we want to hold on to that. We want to hold on to to our will and we want to hold on to the ability to control our lives and do what we want, pursue happiness, trust in other things. But God is, is beckoning you to come. He's calling you. To step out in faith this morning and give your life to Christ. And I wish I could tell you that as soon as you did that, there are no more tests of faith. That's it. That it's just easy street, smooth sailing from here on out. But that's not the way that it's going to go. For us as believers, you know that every step of the journey involves more and more testing of our faith. Those moments where we have to do exactly what Abraham did and, and pass the test of faith just to get to the next one. Because that's, that's what the life of faith is. You pass the test of faith and you go into a different one. For every believer, there are different tests of faith. And, and in those moments, we find out whether or not we're really willing to follow the Lord. Sometimes that means a move in our lives. Are we willing to follow the Lord as he leads us to a place that we never thought about living? It might be a career change in our lives. It might be trusting our children into God's hands for the will that he has for them. It might be God calling us into ministry or to serve him in missions full time. And we say, I I don't know how this is gonna work out. How, How will this all happen? And God doesn't just lay it all out, folks. You have to step out in faith and start following. But when you do, What you begin to find out is that what Abraham experienced is exactly what you will experience is that God will provide. He will do it. None of these things rest on our shoulders. And so it leads us to this question of what do we hold on to more than following Jesus? What do we we guard so closely that we can't give up? For Abraham, could it have been that, that God was testing him? Do you love me more than you love your son? For us it's, do I love something else more than I love Jesus? Is there something I will protect at all costs because that's more valuable to me than following the Lord, than than walking after him and we struggle with that. But we have to know that God doesn't call us to be obedient without resourcing us to follow through with what he's called us to do. This fall, I had the opportunity to go with one of our church members to one of our mission partners and we joined a mission trip that was already taking place. One of the things that our, champ, our, our mission partner champion there does on all of these trips is that she makes everybody on the team lead a devotional every morning. Somebody has to do it every morning and she just picks you at random and says, you're leading our devotional tomorrow. On that team was an 80-year-old woman, 80-plus. And in that morning, she was supposed to lead our devotional. She said to us, I've never led a devotional. I'm I'm very nervous about this. And uh, as we were having our breakfast, she began to recount her testimony and share a little bit about what God had been doing in her life. And she said, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been living with someone I'm not married to and uh, very committed, We've, we've loved one another. I've been in this Bible study with our pastor's wife and other ladies, and one of the things that she said to us was that God wanted us to honor the Lord in every aspect of our relationships. Not just our friendships, not just our parents, not just our siblings, But the people that we love, are we loving them the way that Christ has called us to love them? And she said, I knew that God was hitting me right between the eyes with a two by four on that one because I knew I shouldn't be living with him. She said, "I, I wrestled with that for a couple of days. And one day I came home and I said, marry me or get out. And he said, see you later. And she said, I, I've never been so heartbroken in that moment, but I've never been so at peace with following Jesus because it was absolutely the right thing for me to do. And she said, just to prove it to you, we're still friends. We still play tennis together. We still go dancing together. But I'm gonna honor God above all else. I was not going to have that be the thing that kept me from, from honoring God with what he called me to do. It was an enormous step of faith for me. And I just remember sitting there going... Dear God, let me eat this apple tart thing so that I don't start crying and blubbering all over the place because you did really good in that devotional. For somebody that's never given one, she challenged us. What do you love more than honoring God? Well, what is it for you? Have you been reading the scripture and you've come up against something that the Lord is really speaking to you about and you're trying to negotiate with him and you're trying to get around, it just doesn't work. Has the Holy Spirit of God been speaking to you about something, a a change that needs to be made in your life or an area of your life that he wants to bring under his lordship and you're just not giving into it? See, that makes us the kind of person we don't want to be, the kind of person who says, I believe in God, but I don't act like I do. For us who are in Christ, the ultimate test of his lordship over our life is always when he comes to us and he starts to pry our fingers off of something we love. That's always the ultimate test of lordship, isn't it? Maybe you're in the test of faith right now. Are you going to believe what God has said and trust him as you follow through with it? Or are you waiting for him to show you how it's all gonna work out? My hope for us this morning is that like Abraham, we would think in terms of this passage of scripture in two ways. One is that if we've never given our life to Christ, if you've never been saved this morning, why not? What's keeping you from finding peace with God? why don't you give your life to Christ today? Why don't you surrender and let him be the Lord of your life? Maybe for you, you're already past that point. You've passed the the first test of faith, but you've not been baptized. You've not been obedient to the Lord in that. Maybe you've been holding back. Why not give into the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's some other thing. You're going through a, a time of testing and you just have to walk in faith today. I'm just gonna encourage us today to give the Lordship, the Lord ultimate control over our lives today and trust that he will be exactly who Abraham said he would be, the God who provides. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song after I'm done praying and I'm gonna open up the altars because maybe it's time for you to come and lay down something in your life that you've been struggling with and just give it to the Lord. Maybe it's time to rededicate your life or maybe today's the first day that you've realized you need to be saved. I'd love for you to do that today and give your life to Christ. And I'll encourage you to to step out of where you're standing and and come take me by the hand and tell me I wanna be saved today. Whatever it is, could we be like Abraham and trust that the God who provides will certainly provide? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, there are no doubt many of us who have come into the room and we're wondering how you're gonna work something out in our lives. We're wondering how you're going to accomplish your will in our lives. We're wondering what our next step is supposed to be Father, could you put us at ease this morning just to trust that you're going to take care of it? Let us live our faith by believing in you and acting on what we know. Father, for the one who doesn't know you, our prayer is today that they would be saved. And maybe it's just for some of us this morning, Lord, we need to take that step of faith you've been talking to us about for a long time. We know what it is, and we've been wrestling with you. God, as we wrestle, I pray that we would be so reminded that you're not a promise breaker. And so what you have said will come to pass. Help us to trust that Lord Jesus. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior, our substitute. Amen.